Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. All right. Today we have Richard McHattie, CIO for Maricopa County. Rich, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. It's so great to be here. Rich, I'm very excited. We were just talking offline, but I'm very excited. You've been to a live event. Actually, I think it was by accident. But do you want to tell the story of why, how you accidentally ended up at the Phoenix Live Podcast Tour? Yeah, absolutely. It's really a, actually, it's kind of a good story. And as we were talking earlier, I was kind of relieved in some ways, right, not to go on and fill in because anyone who knows Aaron Judy, and I think you've had him on the podcast after that, even though he missed the event, but Aaron had his baby, Mavis, uh, literally, I think it was the night before. So he called and he's rich. Can you stand in? Joe's got this. You know, JR and others are going to be there. It's a big podcast event. Can you stand in for me? And my first instinct was, I hired you to do what you do so well because I don't know anything that you're doing. So at first I'm thinking, I don't know, Aaron, but yeah, I'll stand in. So his timing was, yeah, impeccable from that respect because it was just the night before. And Aaron is, is anyone who's seen the podcast with you and, and Aaron one of the most talented innovators was so happy to have him on my team at the clerk of the spirit court. But that's the first time I think I officially met you, Joe. And that was in, I think it was one of the hotels in downtown Phoenix here somewhere. Yeah. Kempton hotel, Palomar. Yeah. That was a fun experience. I received an email from Aaron the night before the event, the night that he had a baby. Hey man, I'm so sorry. I can't make it because I'm having a baby. And I was thinking to myself, it doesn't happen often, but there's some folks who no-show last minute, and I was like, Aaron, this is the most legit excuse I've ever received to date. I'm still looking forward 19, 18 months later of all of the CIOs. That's a real good one. That's a real solid, real solid excuse, oh, having a baby. Aaron, you. we're going to link to your episode in the show notes, just because that was such a fantastic episode. So everyone look out for that. Yeah, Aaron, Judy, so smart. Um, and fun guy. Like when I interviewed him, he had a giant Iron Man suit in the background and uh, all these Marvel characters. Uh, and so that was, yeah, that was a ton of blast. So we're going to, we're going to drop Aaron's in the show notes. And I know Rich has spoken very highly of him. Super honored to, to have interviewed him, but Rich, uh, for those in the audience who don't know you quite yet, can you maybe just give us a short background on yourself? Sure. Uh, you know, currently serving as CIO for Maricopa County about three months into the gig. I started in public sector with the county, Maricopa County, in 2005, working for the judicial branch at the time. Actually came in almost by accident, right? Wasn't coming in purposely to be a public servant. I was previously in business development, traveling all over the West Coast. My kids were younger. My wife said, is there any way you can just kind of stay in town and find a gig that you're not, you're not traveling so much? And wound up, thankfully, in the county in 2005, spent about five years in the judicial branch, two months on that job with no IT experience. The CIO left at the time, and I was reporting to the elected uh, clerk of the Superior Court, Michael Jeans. He said, hey, can you go over and look at the IT group? 
you know, give me an assessment. Tell, tell me what you think we need to do. And I looked them square in the eyes and I said, Michael, I call my brother for tech support. Okay, so I'm not sure you really want me going over and evaluating the, the, the tech group. And that is actually how I started my tech journey. Fast forward a little bit, he's, he liked the recommendations, said, you know, go look at it, go run that for a while. Uh, so that started in 2005, spent about eight years there, came over to OET, where I am now. We're called Office of Enterprise Technology. Came over here to work for David Stevens at the time. He was CIO, spent about five years here. And then I actually went back to the clerk of the Superior Court for the past five years in more of a dedicated IT technology and innovation role. Uh, we were really trying to leverage emerging technologies. And as we mentioned, Aaron, he was a big part of bringing AI and some other great technologies to bear at the clerk's office. And then this opportunity came up about three months ago. And as much as I love my time at the clerk's office, you know, to have a larger impact at an enterprise scale at the county. We have a great new county manager, Jen Pekorski, who's technology forward, really looking at how we can leverage technology to, to improve the county experience. Couldn't pass that up. Yeah, that's awesome. Does your, do you still call your brother for tech support? Uh, listen to this. Not quite so much. <laughs> Not quite so much. I love that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, David Stevens, I haven't talked. I talked to him a little bit. I think he spoke at text, which is super awesome. He was in the audience, kind of front row. I think I lost his email address. I This is the classic entrepreneurial. Uh, I think I have like four different systems going. And so trying to manage everybody, I'm pretty sure I lost the email. So I was like, oh, he'll hit me up on LinkedIn at some point. We'll reconnect or next time I'm in Phoenix and we're there. But yeah, he's a great guy. I had a chance to talk to him a couple of times. That's, that's kind of, would you consider him like a mentor? Is that like a mentor role or... Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he and I were actually just texting this morning, so we've stayed in touch since then. Learned a tremendous amount from David. He's definitely one of my mentors, especially in my IT career, no doubt. Yeah, that's awesome. We've had a couple podcasts. It'll be another one, but we always love it on, on the show hearing about folks who have mentors, and we know that plays a, a big role in a lot of folks' lives. So we're going we're gonna to come back to Maricopa County, and so... Let's kick off our time, you know, Rich, that, I kind of mentioned it, but like, it's really a special connection. I feel like whenever you've been an entrepreneur or have worked at a startup, you kind of know how hard it is behind the scenes. We talked about the sleepless nights, the burden of making payroll, cashing out retirement accounts. Like there's a few people in the audience listening that this will really resonate with. And, and I think this often gets glazed over and just a one or two second bio. So and so was an entrepreneur, right? And you're like, ah, no, like there's so much there, and it just doesn't do justice. And so I'm hoping we can do a little bit of that today. And so your younger years, you were working for your parents, who started a company, who started an RFID-based chip startup that used implantable microchips for identification and recovery of companion animals. Love this. Tell us more about the journey. I mean, you're making me reach back about, what, 30 years now? But you never forget it, right? When you're involved in entrepreneurship and starting things off and all those struggles. But it really started, I was still in college, a small college back east in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I still remember to this day, my dad called me and said, hey, we're thinking about starting up a corporation here. We've seen this great new technology on the, the show circuit because my parents were showing, I think, standard poodles through AKC and all the shows. And he said, we need to understand how to set up a corporation. 
I was going through business classes, S Corp, C Corp. So I actually helped us uh, set up the corporation. And so that's kind of how it all began. We thought, let's just give this a go. Both my parents were, you know, had entrepreneurial uh, tendencies and were really looking to do this. So it started while I was in college. My last two years of college, I was doing sort of sales and uh, trying to get out in front of veterinarians and humane societies and introducing what at the time, remembering back, this is 1990. Now, most folks, their pets are probably chipped. You get them from a humane society, they come already uh, microchipped. Back then, no one knew what it was. We were showing them, I actually think I have, oh, I do, actually have one of the first chips that was ever made. That's an actual microchip right there. And, you know, so if you're going out there, you're struggling trying to just introduce a new technology, let alone setting up a new business. But it was a lot of fun because it was, you're learning new things, you know, doing something entirely new. But then, of course, it grew pretty quickly initially, and then you realize all the struggles like you mentioned before. How do you grow the business? How do you cash in or just forego paychecks to throw it back into the business? You're everything from, you know, I was a marketing director at one point up to chief operating officer. But even when I was the chief operating officer, it would sound like this great title. I'm like, oh, this is such a, a cool title with a great company. Yeah, after hours, I was down in the, the basement of our home office, essentially, packaging up microchips, scanning them and barcoding them, putting stickers on, taking boxes to UPS. I mean, you probably know this as well, right? You do anything and everything to keep the business running, especially when you don't necessarily have a ton of money to bring on staff to do that. That's a, I love that right now. Cause this is the part where I'm at where it's like me and my wife and my wife's first role is, you know, mom, mother, and then wife, and then supporting the podcast or they're editing podcasts or, you know, and summer's coming to an end, which is this summer's brutal. All the kids are home. I don't have Jamie. I'm like, go back to school. I love you guys. But it is, you guys are killing me. I went to a co-working spot because like my five-year-old, I love him. I was recording a podcast earlier this week. Kid runs in with a lightsaber. I'm like, Jack, no. <laughs> right. It's, but going back to the chief, yeah, the chief everything officer, I mean, sales, marketing, social media. And I feel like I'm like, man, I'm so bad at social media. At this point, I'm so exhausted every day. I'm like, I just got to ship an episode. I'm dropping it on LinkedIn. I'm like, I just got to get it out there. It's not going to be perfect. You're like, you just got to package the box and get it in the mail. And you got to clean, clean that you got to do accounting. I mean, just everything, right? It's so crazy. No, well, no one has offered me. Yeah, go for it. I mean, it's, it's, I hear you talking about social media and everything else, but remember back to 1990, right? We were bragging about this great new technology. We had a 486 DX computer. We're backing up all the, you know, the database and all the animal records on disk. We were so proud about it. And I think back on that now and I think, wow, like how, especially in the tech space, how much has changed from 1990 till now, right? I mean, it was a, it was definitely a different time. We were way, it was pretty creative actually how my dad and I were sitting there literally creating a relational database on alpha four software, trying to figure out how do we print off, you know, animal records? How do we create rebates? Because part of our structure was for every microchip sold in a veterinarian's office, you know, it was a $25 registration and we kicked $5 back to the veterinarians. But we had to do reporting and accounting and all the financial reporting around that to your point. 
And we're just doing this literally in a kitchen, right? On a computer in the kitchen, just trying to develop this database and ultimately develop a nationwide all the way into Canada recovery system for companion animals. Uh, so when I think back on it, I just kind of smile in some ways and think, wow, 1990, a lot was different back then. Yeah. And I mean, I got really nice compared to 1990. Okay. Like if I'm honest, yeah, it, it's, it is, there are a lot of things that are very streamlined today that I can do with technology, but yeah, account, you know, accounting is a funny thing. I don't know if you took it in college, but I took it in college and it's one thing. The first time that you start having to see like a cash flow statement and how it affects the profit and loss statement and, and then what you end up paying yourself, you're like, huh, wow. If I would have started a business in college, this would have been like a lot more impactful for me during accounting class. Cause now you're like, all right, this is game time, real numbers, not a fake widget or whatever you have in class. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you do that with your dad. So this is a great segue. I don't know. I'm not going to force this upon my kids. If tech tables is alive <laughs> long enough, I've got a 14 year old daughter, five year old son. They will travel to the events, which is pretty fun. Annabelle, to the events she's been to, has been deemed the babysitter for the CIOs who have younger kids, which is pretty great. And Jack just kind of roams around wherever the venue is, right? And But I love that in college, you're doing, and probably after college, you're doing this with your dad, doing this with your parents. What did you observe about your parents' work ethic that you still have today in public sector? Wow, so much. I mean, so my dad was really sort of the technology behind it. My mom was really sort of the driver of the business and setting it up and expanding it through independent contractors across the United States. But, you know, the work ethic that I hope I still have today, I have to think I have that, is you just do anything and everything you can to make to be successful, right? And when you're running a business and you've got your own payroll and it kind of Reminds me of my time in business development as well. You, you know, you work for the commissions, you work for uh, results and outcomes. And I've tried to bring that to my experience in the public sector as well. You know, we can talk about all the great things we want to do. We can talk about how we leverage technology for all these outcomes. In the end, you have to deliver. That's what matters. You know, we may not get a commission on the other end of it at, uh, uh, in the public sector, but we certainly get the rewards of knowing you know, we've improved county operations, we've lowered costs for our residents, improved access to all the critical services. But in the end, I think it all comes down to, you know, hopefully you would validate this too. You have to have a passion for what you're doing. You're not going to have work ethic if, if you don't like and really love, in fact, what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. If you have that, the work ethic follows, in my opinion. Uh, you have those days where you just want to fall down and say, okay, I'm done. It's been seven days a week for, you know, 32 weeks. I just need a break. But in the end, yeah, I think it, I learned a lot from, you know, my parents. Anytime we were talking earlier, Joe, about, you know, there's times where you just want to throw it in and say, is this worth it? You know, is this really worth it? And you just keep going because and it teaches you when you're an entrepreneur in particular, I think it teaches you that you own it. Right. If you don't keep going, fine, but you suffer the consequence. But there you are. You own it. And whatever's going to happen from there is within your control. And I think that's good when you talk about empowering your teams and your employees, too. Right. In the end, you really own that. So learned a tremendous amount through that time. I learned how to get really creative with peanut butter and jelly and other things. 
<laughs> you know, missing time. Yeah, remember, I'm just out of college, right? So I got all my buddies who are starting their first new jobs. They're going out and having fun, going to concerts, going to bars. They're still, you know, they got some money in their pocket now. And I'm like, yeah, I can't go tonight, guys. I, I got to focus on this. Yeah. Yeah, there are very – I was just having this. I got a group of buddies I meet with Friday mornings for coffee. And, and most of them are employees. And we were talking about how they love their five days a week. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the six minimum train right now. <laughs> It, it, it's no clock out of five. And so I, I'm, and you know, not the flexibility is nice, but what you said was perfect. The end of the day is like you own it and it's a very, how would I describe it? It's, it just pushes you to a different level to be able to say, Hey, at the end of the day, like I just have to take extreme ownership of this. I have to own it. And, and if honestly, if this was my job and I work for someone in this startup piece, like I would probably quit, honest. but Absolutely. just it, you have to, you have to push it. And I like, honestly, once a quarter, I've heard some big entrepreneurs say at least once a quarter, they're like, just want to throw in the towel. There'll just be something. And like the, the daily roller coaster is insane. Like you can be going like, this is amazing to what just happened all in a single day it could even be in two hours it can just be that nuts i love that i'm taking you back 30 years i'm only 34 but i love that we're going back in time so i'm gonna pull in i've got two folks who submitted questions one's a former state cio one is a current state cio jamie grant former state cio in the state of florida he's back on the entrepreneurial train he called it his, his tour of service and i was texting with him this morning and just said hey i'm gonna be interviewing Rich, he is a former entrepreneur. Uh, anything that like you would want to ask him, and and Jamie said he'd love to hear your perspective on the difference that you're seeing public versus private sector differences and similarities. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, great question. And you know, I got that a lot when I first came to the public sector. You know, I had a bunch of you know former colleagues who were, thinking, who were saying to me, quite frankly, "What are you doing? Why would you go to the?" Why would you go to the public sector, right? They take the bus into work, they clock in at eight, they leave at five, they're not inspired, you know, they're just, you know, public servants in, in the old uh, stigma, if you will. I, honestly, I've never seen anything like that in my time in the county. Uh, now, I, I, I do think Maricopa County, and I'm a little biased, of course, that I've been here 18 years, but I do think the county is known for and stands up to their reputation of being innovative being anything but government, so to speak, in terms of what we try to do. And I've been fortunate, we were talking about mentors earlier. I've been fortunate that my time in the public sector, I've worked for what I would consider visionaries and innovators. When I first started in the county with the Clerk of the Superior Courts in IT, we were moving that entire judicial branch from paper-based records, right? Judges holding records, literally runners running a, a, across facilities and in vans and otherwise delivering paper files. Now, this was 2000. Uh, he had a goal of 1107, January 1 of 07, to turn it into an all-electronic court record. That, that was incredible, right? When you think about public sector, I think so many people think it's uninspiring or they're not really technology advanced or innovative. I've seen anything but that. While there, there can be pockets of that, I think there's just different motivations. Like I was talking about earlier, you're in the private sector, you're driven, you know, in large part by revenue and margins. And 
I would sit in quarterly meetings, sales meetings, where you're constantly looking at where are revenues and margins, we got to hit our targets, we got to push. Here, it's a different mission, of course, but it's similar in terms of being very purposeful for arguably in some ways more important because we're delivering critical public services. And so I think culturally, while there are some differences, I've been maybe fortunate to be in organizations within the county that are innovative, they uh, are hardworking, we put in hours upon hours with the right intentions, we've been able to innovate and do things in the public sector that as I talk to more CIOs even in the private sector, they have a lot of the challenges that we're trying to overcome. Some of the things that we've done, they haven't even done yet. So it is different, but I, you know, I think over time, that stigma I think has waned a little bit and the public sector is, is better known, I hope, for being innovative, for adopting technology and doing some of those things. Yeah, I, I would say that is, I think a big myth that there's not talent in the public sector when you start to kind of travel around and talk with people, meet with people, cross industry. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, we were talking about Aaron Judy. I'm sure he gets offers from the private sector all the time because that guy is wicked smart. And so going back to being passionate about what you're doing, the impact of what you're doing. And when you can see impact, I mean, I'm not like public sector, but I coach high school basketball. And as a coach on the staff, and part of the Santa Barbara Unified School District, which I got to get all my certs in by August 31st. And, and you know, that's, you can see the impact. And in my case, it's, it's the kids. For some folks, it's the citizens. And so I always love hearing, hearing stories like that. The other state CIO, who was also an entrepreneur in his earlier days, is Kevin Gilbertson. Talked to him earlier this week. And we were talking about entrepreneurship. And again, I was like, you know, hey, I got this interview with Rich McCaddy. <laughs> Do you know Rich? He's now I've never heard of him, but I really want to listen to this episode. He had a couple of great questions. So he said, you know, what do you think the government could do to help early entrepreneurs out from contracting methods to security? These are big challenges for small startups. Early on, one of his roles was trying to sell to government, which he was like, this is crazy. In the kind of Maricopa County startup scene, yeah, how are you thinking about how government could help early innovative startups who want to help government transform and innovate get on the scene? You know, that, that always is the challenge. I, I suspect as you've talked to public sector CIOs, procurement, and we need them. I don't want my procurement group listening to this and thinking I have negative opinions. I mean, they do great work, right? But because we're trying to be fair, we're a public entity, we want to make sure everyone gets a shot. And so we have to go through RFPs and other things that sometimes slow us down. But relative to, you know, startups and others, I mean, I've always taken a philosophy. Uh, first thing is reach out. Uh, I think most CIOs and, and tech leaders in the public sector are open. They want to talk, they want to innovate, they want to help those companies just from the highest level in terms of uh, philosophy. Uh, so that's the first step. I've had a few AI firms, for example, that have approached me recently, met with them, see tremendous uh, potential with them, and have helped them get into the machine, if you will, right? How do you get registered? How do you get notified that things are coming down? I would love to see, though, personally, I would love to see public sector embrace it more formally, create you know, specific opportunities, especially around technology, for these emerging firms and, and companies to have 
what the right term is, special treatment or otherwise, but special consideration where we can help them where they're not strong maybe in engagement and how to interact with government and procurement and all of, all the processes associated with that so that they have even an equal opportunity, right, to show what they're capable of and what they can do for the public sector. Uh, we don't have that now, but you've kind of inspired me to think about maybe some new goals or some new ambitions for me in my current role about how, and, and even regionally, right, we have CIOs, you know, J.R. Sloan, you know, and Steen over at the city of Phoenix and elsewhere. You know, I'd love to put some tech consortium together that at a minimum provides opportunities for these new companies to come and present equally, tech showcase, whatever you call it, come and talk about what they do and then provide them assistance around state procurement, county procurement, city procurement, which can be clearly very daunting. And anyone who's sold in the public sector, and I did that for two years out of my business development, you know how frustrating it can be, right? It's hard to get mind share and engage with them. No, we need to do an RFP. We can't talk to you at all. That, that I think is generally a myth. We can certainly engage and share what our priorities are and what we're trying to do as a county. And it it's, provides better opportunity for those partners to know, okay, do I fit in there, right? Can I really be a good partner in helping advance the mission for the county? And, and they can make decisions on whether they want to engage further and put the time into it. But yeah, that's a great idea. I'd love to think more formally about how we could formalize something to, to bring them on board. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm actually, as I'm thinking about this right now, I love this idea of some type of government entrepreneur, like it's kind of, I don't know if it's an event or something to where you can bring some folks who are entrepreneurs. I've interviewed, I think I've got a good handful. Some of the companies, the CEOs are publicly traded companies. And, but the folks who have wanted to, to, and they're not like dedicated to public sector, but they're, they are entrepreneurs. And the one thing I found too, is they're like, Hey, Joe, I'm going to come on the podcast and normally I don't do it, but because you've been in it for at least like a year, like we're going to do it. Cause like we want to help entrepreneurs. And I like love that. And so if anyone is an entrepreneur, I've always been like keeping my ears open. So there's a couple, there's a couple of folks. I had a great podcast with Blake Hall, who's the CEO of IDME. And there's a couple others, Brad and Riley with CityBot. I give him a shout out. He's been to a live event. And I know he's a small entrepreneur. He does a lot of work with city and county governments. And so I think it would be a ton of fun to just, to just, I might have to just email my, everyone on the email list and just see, Hey, who's an entrepreneur and start putting something together. I'm going to put this on the roadmap. Nice. Maybe it's a 2024, 2024, but yeah, let me know if you do anything in Maricopa County. I'd love to hear, or if anyone in the audience is doing anything with entrepreneurs on the GovTech side, just reach out to me, Joe at techtables.com. Love to hear what folks are across the country are doing and in different hubs and, or even if there's already an event would be a ton of fun. So let's dive into Maricopa County. And I know everyone's been waiting 30 minutes to get to Maricopa County, but we're here. So Rich, how are you bringing an entrepreneurial mindset and speed of digital government services to Maricopa County? I know you touched a little bit on it, but, but now how are you actually looking at deploying that speed with digital government services? You know, in terms of bringing it here, I'm very fortunate that 
my current executive team has that mindset as well. A number of them came from private sector. They're all focused on, you know, how do we create world-class technology supports and services and products for the county? So uh, that hasn't been a big push to purposely bring that mindset here because I'm grateful that we we already have that. I've got a great team who knows that, you know, while we're in tech for one reason, right, to improve the operations of the county and the customer experience. Um, now, we've got a lot of hardcore tech around running our infrastructure and ensuring things are highly available, things that many uh, folks don't appreciate. It's behind the scenes, right? No one wants to see what's happening there. They want to see the exciting, flashy stuff about how we're going to improve customer access to county services. You know, those kind of things are the most important things. So I think we already have a pretty good entrepreneurial mindset. I mentioned our county manager earlier. Part of part of me coming on with this gig was wanting to continue some of the things we did at the clerk's office with Aaron Judy and Chris Driscoll and my team over there. They did a number of things around AI, conversational AI, robotic process automation, things that we can be doing at scale in the county as well. So you can kind of view those as entrepreneurial in some ways, right? Because they're emerging, we haven't really been there. As Aaron would say, right, the art of the possible, uh, thinking about, you know, no limits, right? We can do these things. Some of these things have been done very well in the private sector already. It's not like we're creating cold fusion, as I like to say. These things are already, they already exist, but you have to, in my opinion, you have to have the greatest people because the technology itself is usually not the concern of the issue. It's the people who have to think it through, have to make sure we're connecting the right dots, why we're doing what we're doing to improve the customer experience or improve operations of the county. You know, it doesn't implement itself. AI, as cool as it is, you don't just plug it in and say, great, now it's going to tell everyone how to access every service in the county, uh, no problems, no concerns. Uh, it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of uh, great people have the right mindset, the right skills, and to our points earlier, right, the work ethic and the, and the passion for making those kind of changes to, to better the experience. I think we already have it here. I think that applies overall to the county. When I see some of the IT uh, projects that we're doing collectively in the county, there's a lot of great innovation happening, some incredible data warehouse and, and data initiatives in our public health uh, group who did so many innovative things through the pandemic and their critical role in helping the county through that. So I think we're, we're, we're in pretty good shape, but we never let ourselves forget it, right? We're always reminding ourselves we have GSD meetings twice a week. We'll say get stuff done to keep it clean on this podcast, but you could substitute the S for something else if you wanted. And it's all about focusing on how we're going to deliver, right? How we're going to take all these great ideas, all these emerging technologies, and in the end, what matters is we deliver for that customer experience or for that improvement for the county. Yeah, I love that. I think I I'd heard you before say on one of the previous podcasts about about yeah, and, and having a great team and having that mindset and and not settling, which I love. So and the AI piece, AI doesn't deploy itself. It doesn't do that yet. We're not there. If it does, people need to reach out to me once they see this podcast and show me. Or, or we can call your brother. Or we... My brother, or if I could get Aaron over here and say, Aaron, help me out with this. But, you know, AI, all kidding aside, right, if you're not in that space already, you're so far behind. I mean, we have, 
you know, generative AI, conversational AI. Aaron did some incredible stuff with automating some of our server environments and with monitoring and ticket processing. It's pretty much everywhere. I was coming home from ASU yesterday, go Devils, by the way. It was taking his first courses in his junior year, and he was talking about how now every single one of his professors, the first thing they talk about is we need to talk about AI. We need to talk about policies around your ability to use ChatGPT and some of these things. And so it is, it's real. It's everywhere. It's a huge priority for us to leverage that in all of its different sort of shapes and fashions to improve, again, the customer experience as well as our operations. Yeah, no, 100% agree. When you look out the next kind of six to 18 months, what projects excite you the most that are in your, that are in your portfolio right now? Gosh, I mean, you know, we're the fourth largest county. We have 55 departments with so many different lines of business from public safety to judicial branch, public health. We have a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, it depends on your context, too. I look at exciting in two different contexts. We have exciting uh, with our core responsibilities of running infrastructure, providing high availability to all of our services, securing those services. We have a number of exciting things happening there, which include uh, some AI capabilities that we want to uh, employ really to just kind of simplify and make it easier to maintain and manage our network infrastructure moving forward. Some of the more, excuse me, exciting things on the customer side are, you know, the digital transformation kind of things. We did some of that at my previous company. One of the biggest priorities for the county as a whole was to provide our residents one view, one access to Maricopa County. You know, for those of you who know the county structure, we're a federated structure. We have many elected offices and sheriff and county attorney and the judicial branch, pseudo elected. We have a lot of diversity in that respect. And we want to make sure that any resident who engages with the county doesn't have to understand that, right? They don't need a magic decoder ring. If they get a property tax statement, they don't need to know that the assessor is elected in a different office within the county. We want to try to create all those online experiences and access to those services as sort of one Maricopa, one view. You don't need to understand anything other than you come in. We can effectively, hopefully through AI and other you know, natural language automated uh, experiences, get you directly to the online service and in some ways even help you through that online service with there's plenty of cool products out there that will help. Uh, residents understand even how to fill out some of the forms because you know we think the forms are easy it's our business we know what we want from them but we really need to look at it from a customer perspective and say yeah when you're going through all these fields it's not obvious what you're asking or how they would get that information so there's a lot of ways I think we can apply AI and other technologies emerging technologies to improve that experience so the digital transformation is always going to be where I lean it's where I get excited and it is where we, in in many ways, make the biggest impact to our, our residents. Yeah, no, I love that. And Arizona is one of the big leaders in digital transformation. I know you guys, I'm so jealous. I want my driver's license and my iPhone so bad. I know it's not related. I just, it's the thing. I'm a consumer. I get it. But I, I remember interviewing JR on it. I'm like, so how did you get that through? Uh, we just pushed it. So... They got it done. And the cool part is I took my son to the Lego Discovery Center in, in Arizona. And, uh, and it just pops up like, hey, you're in Arizona. Want to add this to your wallet? And I'm like, 
it haunts me everywhere. I love that type of stuff. I know it's super consumer facing forward, and I know there's a lot of questions. Jared went deep on that podcast, but I love thinking about as a consumer in any services. I also consume business services too. So I always love to hear when different counties and cities and states and how they think about the experiences, which I think is a big piece that I love. And a lot of folks are having digital transformation and, uh, you know, whether it's healthcare or government services or the DMV or, you know, you name it. And it's a fun time to be around. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Maricopa County can keep putting out. Lastly, as we wrap up, Rich, we've, we started doing this at our events might have to get you over to one of our new events as we've been iterating quickly like all entrepreneurs do we love to listen feedback hear from people hear from the market what do people like and we've got two different types of events now we've got experiences and we've got pod recordings and when you were there it was a pod recording which is me sitting down (laughs) or in houston when i was there recently me sitting down for 10 hours and recording eight episodes and that that is not entertaining but we wanted to kind of break that up. And one of the things we heard was that people would love a talking roundtable. So I was like, okay, this is cool. So we, we started having CIOs lead these at some of the events. But what I was curious about is like, what, I guess, almost roundtable topics do you care about most? And we're just kind of starting to pull this down to see what different folks care about in California, in in. New York or Montana or Colorado or Texas. And, you know, could be cybersecurity and risk management, could be digital government services. It sounds like digital would be number one, but I don't want to lead you. I think I just did that. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you if you could, you know, one or two that are like top of mind that you're like, I love this topic. You know, it's hard. It's almost like a 1A, B, C, D, right? Because we're, you know, our primary responsibility is you've got to secure the enterprise. And without that, you know, not much else matters. So that's always going to be most important in that sort of perspective. Uh, data is really big for us right now, and AI is is right next to that in terms of what it can do relative to data, but so many other things. Uh, data, you know, I would say, you know, in fairness, we're a little behind the curve in terms of our maturity and what we can do to improve our data-driven insights and how we can leverage data for so many different things. So data is a top priority for us in our immediate strategic plan that we're finalizing here in the next month. That's going to be a very top priority and is always important. And then, you know, as you mentioned, you did lead into this, but yeah, digital government, you know, we want to create, and it's a journey. I don't know if we ever have a destination because as technology is changing, you need to continue to improve it. You're talking about the digital wallet for your license. I mean, there's always going to be the next greatest thing, but that is also our challenge. And I suppose every CIO thinks this way is, you have to get, be as bold and as calculated as you can, not to be on the cutting edge, but certainly the leading edge, but so that you can implement those technologies, uh, experience enough benefit and adoption and impact so that when the next one comes, you're ready for that and ready for that, you know, get staying ahead of that obsolescence curve. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for digital government and advancing that. AI is going to play a big part of that. So those are probably... You know, again, securing the enterprise and, and, and doing that is, is core, but data and digital transformation, in, in particular, a, I'd love to hear from your audience through this whole process. I know you mentioned Rob Lloyd, or we were talking about him earlier. I think they've done 
some great work around policies and setting up some you know guide rails or guardrails rather uh, around AI and how we can leverage that in public sector. That's going to be really important for us as well. Yeah, I think I saw uh, that on LinkedIn that they put out some guidelines and policy and they. Uh... Yeah, that's and I think the policy piece is very early on, too, because I think I was reading the federal government is I think they got a committee or a board, but they're trying to figure out, like, what's the response. But as I talk to to leaders across the country, if leaders are real honest with themselves, everyone's trying to figure out what's the appropriate response, what's the impact and for different agencies, like. It just presents different problems. It's a very nuanced, complex, like I was interviewing a CIO in a state uh, and uh, from state courts. And you're like, there's a lot of sensitive stuff you don't want, like getting leaked out or integrated with certain stuff that's not secure. So it just brings up a lot of different questions. And But I love that San Jose is starting to put some guidelines around it. What does it look like? Yeah, if anyone in the audience is working on this currently, yeah, pr- please reach out. We'd love to hear. We can connect you with Rich. And I'm sure he would love to hear kind of what policy, you know, if you're a CIO and you're working on this and you've got some insight, I'm sure Rich would love to hear it. And if you don't know him, just email me and I'll connect you both. Rich, this was a, it's a fantastic time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Who are, who are the next kind of one to two folks that you think should come on the show next who would you love to hear from oh you know what and selfishly speaking on the ai space there's a company and you might have seen the release on this so tyler technologies is really big in the court side as well as you know other segments as well but they just acquired a company that we leveraged through aaron and our efforts at the uh, clerk of the spirit court around ai on intelligent capture and robotic process automation their cio henry sal jr really incredible individual. They, it, it's just amazing what they're doing with AI. I think he could provide some really interesting perspectives. It'd be interesting to interview someone like that and hear his thoughts. I've never been accused of being the smartest guy in the room, so let's just establish that. However, this guy, when it comes to AI, will make you feel very insignificant, not because of he's condescending or otherwise. He is just extremely talented and brilliant in what they've done with AI. And we've seen the results of that and what we've implemented there. So, I, you know, anyone around the AI space, I think, is I'm always interested in hearing from. And, you know, and I've mentioned Lev. Have you had Lev Donick on your? No. I, I think that'd be really interesting as well. I've gotten to know Lev just a little bit through some Orby events and some other things. And I happen to see him on I linked in this morning because it's first day of the Sun Devils coming back to campus. But he and ASU as a whole, right, pride themselves on being uh, a worldwide innovator, not just in the learning space, but just in innovation as a whole. I found him to have some really great, great ideas, and they're doing some incredible things there at ASU as well. Yeah. I, uh, fun fact, way before it was cool. I took a couple classes online in college at ASU online, just to throw that out there. Yeah, way way back in the day, like 16 years ago, back in the day, something like that. It was a while ago. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, I haven't had him on. I'd love to have him on. We just had some folks from USC. We actually went to USC, which was a ton of fun. And I think we got to get some ASU love on the show, not just USC. Right. And I think we're going to have UCLA. We got to get some ASU love on the show. So you definitely need ASU then. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And have a fantastic day. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify find Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves.